0: Mark chapter 10, it is a joy to be with you here today, and I I just want to uh, again thank all of you who have worked so hard to make this event happen, and and just want to let you know how personally uh, Barbara and I have been encouraged uh, by being here with you uh, and just receiving your encouragement. Uh, It's been great for us spiritually and been helpful to to our marriage to be here. So I, I want to thank you really from from my heart. Uh, you have a great group with a great spirit, and I know God is using you uh, and will continue to use you. And so we're very, very thankful that we've had the opportunity to be here. I like your title of this conference, A Lasting Promise. And, you, you know, uh, in Mark chapter 10, we are we're, we're going to look at a verse here. We're going to we're going to talk, look at a verse that talks about divorce, and you might think it's strange to talk about divorce at a marriage retreat or to study a topic uh, like that. But you know, at this marriage retreat, and as we uh, do, do things like, you know, uh, Marty and Chris had us do stand up and tell each other these wonderful things, and, that, and that's really good stuff and I told Marty I didn't know how far he was going to take that, but you know, uh, and and we're you know here and we're we're in this beautiful setting and we, the the terrain around us and your room is immaculate and you know the, you, you know this is the, the conditions are right to have a good marriage you know <laughs> at least for these two days. <laughs> But the challenge is, we all have to go home and, you know, walk in those kids and pets and in-laws and go to work tomorrow to a cranky boss and and it's you know we gotta go home. It'd be, wouldn't it be great if we could just okay, we're just gonna stay here until <laughs> until Jesus comes. This is uh, we got word from the Lord and. Uh, it's all paid for, you know. Uh, it'd be pretty decently easy to have a good marriage, you know, but that's not the case. So that's why I think it is important to Satan's going to attack our marriages. He he really is. He's going to, and I think he'll probably on the way home he'll he'll attack them. Uh, he wants to destroy them. And, and so we need to be ready for that. The other reason I think it's important to study passages like this is because as a part of the church, I know many of you have been in the church for quite a number of years, we, we love our church, we love our fellowship, our worldwide fellowship, and, and we really want it to be holy and set apart in what God's created it to be. And, you know, our culture is constantly invading our fellowship. And one of the areas that I've observed, at least in my part of the world, where it has begun to invade it is this whole idea of separation and divorce becoming uh, more prevalent, at least than I've ever observed it in my 30 years in the church. And so I think this is important for us to have a conviction about, and it fits right in with our theme. And before I read, I just want to give you a little bit of background. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to do a study on this. And it certainly does relate to our marriages. But, you know, here, to give you a little bit of background, we've been studying the book of Mark in South Florida for all this year, actually. And here Jesus had just completed his ministry in Galilee. That was, you know, way north of Jerusalem. And so this is the last place where Jesus ministers before he goes into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. And and so he's he's at the tail end of his ministry. And I find it very interesting that he he chooses to talk about, you know, divorce, parenting, and money in this section. He talks about the rich, rich young man and money. He talks about little children. Of course, our marriages are what affect our children the most. So these are three things that I believe are incredibly important to always talk about in the church. Marriage, parenting, and money. And because they, they really strike at the heart of how we're doing with God. And, and so Jesus is here. He's in Perea. And, it's, uh, and so this is also very interesting. You know, the Pharisees come up to him and they test him with a question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, it's very interesting. You get, Why are they doing this? Well, for a couple of reasons, you know, they're always trying to trip him up. This happens to be the place where John the Baptist told Herod Antipas, you, you're, what you're doing is sinful, you're living in adultery, and he got his head cut off. So I think the end game of the Pharisees here, if we can get Jesus to start preaching like John the Baptist did in this place, he's going to get his head cut off too by Herod and they also are trying to stir up the crowd against Jesus because, you know, it's interesting. We so 2,000 years ago, divorce was as prevalent as it is in our society today. This is something Satan's always worked at. You know, we tend to think, well, we're new. We've, we're doing it more. We, we're bad. That's for sure in our culture. But this has always been a problem. I think that tells us something about Satan really has always attacked the institution of marriage uh, in an incredible way. And so Jesus teaches on this and you know here he is he's on his way to Jerusalem and and he knows he's going to die on the cross and he knows he's going to suffer immensely and yet, what I find amazing, if you you know, in, in verse 1, he's, he decides to teach the crowd. He denies himself. He's not just consumed with the sorrow that he's going to experience. He's teaching. If you look at the parallel passage later on in Matthew 19, you'll see that he was also healing. So, what is Jesus doing right up to the time he's going to the cross? He's teaching and he's healing and he's not shying away from controversial topics and he's engaging the enemies of his message and he's encouraging encouraging people to come to God. So that's a little bit about about what's going on here. He's talking about divorce, children, and money. In the whole context here as well, he's been doing a great deal of teaching on commitment. He's been talking about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and and being a servant, and, and not wanting to be the greatest because you want to be famous, but being the greatest because you are a servant of all. These are, he's been hitting some fundamental teachings here. So he talks about, in this context, he talks about, the whole context is commitment. And, and I, you know, a lasting promise we need to realize how our society really has a problem with vows, commitment, covenant. Covenant's a word we don't even understand anymore. And, you know, I would encourage you to study on covenant, but, you know, our lack of this, this affects, you know, we have problems with covenants and oaths. We have problems with marriage. You know, what I've been reading a lot of statistics on marriage. And really, in, in many churches, the divorce rate is not different than in the culture. And because we have a problem with this, with, our, with making a commitment to even giving a contribution or an offering to the church, many of us have a problem with following through on that. Of course, in this day and age, people have a problems following through on their commitment on their mortgage on their house. And I understand there are circumstances that maybe were beyond our control in some cases. But in other cases, it's a lack of commitment. We, we are not good, and we need to understand this at following through on our commitments. Sometimes people leave the church. You know, we're not good. People sign up to be a mentor of a preteen in the church, and then they don't. I, I, I worked a A lot and still doing youth ministry in our church and you know people it really hurts kids when people decide I want to be your mentor and they do it once or twice and then they stop you know we're always have we're struggling to get people to be committed in kingdom kids and to really volunteer for that you know if we understood what Jesus taught about the little children let me tell you let me tell you God is in our services he's in the kingdom Kids. he may not be in the regular service but he's always in the kingdom kids service and I hope he's in the regular service. That's not a criticism. I'm just saying he is with the little children. We ought, there ought to be a line for people saying, hey, I want to be in kingdom kids because that's where, can I please, please choose me? That's the way it ought to be. That's the whole context of what Jesus is talking about here. And see, there's so much at stake at this commitment that we are to have to one another in our marriages. And the truth is, we cannot laugh our way to a better. Mar- I liked that clip yesterday, but you cannot laugh your way to a better marriage. You have to obey God your way to a better marriage, and you will laugh along the way for sure. I love to laugh. I love to joke. I, I, I really, Barbara and I, we we joke a lot, probably too much. We we, uh, but you have to just get down to the business of obeying God in your marriage. And as we talked about yesterday, this is hard because since the fall, the woman wants the man's job and the man gets mad about that. We have a problem in our households. And so our, our covenant is is serious, and there are just devastating consequences when we don't follow through. You know, uh, just a. And this study, I think, is about 10 or 15 years old. At this time, study I read, there were over 1 million divorces each year in the United States. Obviously, this affects 2 million adults and millions more children. The largest caseloads in civil courts today relate to family disputes. Children of divorce do less well in school and in their careers. They are more likely to divorce themselves. Divorce is the main cause and breakdown of a child 's mental health. Marriage and children are put together in this passage as we talked about. You know we really need to rise above our culture i 'll tell you a little bit about my story. I shared a bit with the men yesterday when I was uh, sixteen years old, my parents started having serious marriage problems. My father committed adultery, and my mother was uh, devastated by that, uh, rightfully so and and, you know, I, I, I grew up in a small town, university town, just had a wonderful childhood. Everything was great. Uh, playing sports. I just had my, I, I went to the same school for 12 years, had the same friends for 12 years. Uh, you know, it was just, I lived in a great neighborhood, wonderful existence. This threw me for a loop. I mean, my parents, they started fighting. There were serious disputes, my, my, my mother, it, it, it just it crushed her. I can remember her just, and I was 16, and I remember her, I didn't know what to do. She was crying all the time, my, my, my father became distant and indifferent, and you know, my father later on, praise God, became a disciple and uh, he passed away last year and we, you know, we reconciled and became best friends. And that's another, I'm very thankful to God for that. But I'm just saying, in that time period, when I was 16, my sister was uh, 12, another sister, uh, one sister was 13, one sister was 11, and so my parents got divorced uh, the next year. My, uh, my, I was a good student, but then my grades got worse. I started, you know, getting involved in a lot more sin and, and just doing things that I'd never done before. I, I sort of said, well, nothing matters. That's what it did to me. And thankfully, a couple of years later, somebody invited me to church. And I do think the one good thing it did, it made me see that something's wrong in my life and in the life of my family, and I need God. And that's the one good thing that came out of it. And then my dad became a disciple, my sister became a disciple, my other sister became a disciple, and still working on my mom. Uh, but, you know, th- this was a traumatic experience. With de- If I had not found the church, I-, I do not know what would have happened to me Uh, My grandparents were divorced. My uncle, my father's brother, was married three times. My cousin became a drug addict, died of AIDS. Uh, You know, just serious things happened in my family as a consequence of divorce. And just, just for us to see how many of us either personally or have a family member that has been affected by divorce. If you don't mind, raise your hands. I'd say it's most of us. And, you know, I, I would encourage us to have a conviction. You know, I, uh, Barbara and I have a family member considering divorce. And after I did this study, I, I just, you know, I don't normally do this, but I got in touch with them. I said, I, w- I want you to listen to this sermon I did. And I want you to look li- because I want you to realize what you're, ab- this is serious. The Consequences are devastating. And I know most of you here today aren't, aren't planning to get divorced, but there are some. Every time we do one of these seminars, a few people come up to us, you know, we were really thinking about getting divorced. I think it goes on more than we think. We still have that back door in our mind. But let's read in Mark chapter 10. That's the background, and let's read in Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery with her, against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they, verse 2 says they test him. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And, and Jesus goes right to the word of God and says, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, because I think it's helpful. What were they talking about here? Let's just do a Bible study on this. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, Here's here's where they got this. They were building their case. And here's what you see in, in our society and in our lives. We look for loopholes. And we take scriptures and distort them and turn them into something that God never intended them to be. And in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, Moses said, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. Notice he doesn't say you should divorce her. He's stating something that happened. Gives it to her and sends her away from his house and after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce. Gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies and her first husband who divorced her is, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Okay, here we have sort of an obscure what's going on here type passage that the Pharisees have turned in, the society had turned into you can get divorced. And divorce was rampant in the society that Jesus preached in. And there were two schools of thought going on among the Pharisees. One was the Hillel school of thought, which said you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. And that's even the way it's stated in Matthew 19, verse 3. And they said, if she burns your food, you can divorce her. That's what they taught. These were, the, these were, uh, th- these were Pharisees. These were teachers of the law. They said if, if, she, if she lets her hair down, I mean physically, you can divorce her. If, if she had exposed ankles, you could divorce her. If she spoke to another man, you could divorce her. This is what was being taught. If she talked badly about your mother, you could divorce her. <laughs> and this is, this is the setting, and this was rampant in the society. And so, and then you had the Shammai school of thought that said, well, premarital sin, sexual sin was really the only reason, like what happened with Joseph and Mary, or at least in what Joseph thought had happened. That something indecent sexually had happened before you were married. And then they were saying, so you had these these two schools of thought. We've got to realize here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I don't have time to do a whole exposition of this, but you don't see any command to divorce here or any encouragement to divorce. What's going on here? God was acknowledging a custom that already existed and was making a provision for women to be taken care of. And the Pharisees had twisted that. You see, they had turned, that, they had turned the compassion of God into a loophole. And this, this is one way people misinterpret the Bible many times. And we, we must get the heart of God on divorce. You know, it's just kind of like uh, slavery was an institution that existed in the Bible. And so God made provisions for slaves to be taken care of properly and to not be mistreated. He didn't condone slavery and say, this is great. He just said, it already exists in this fallen, broken world. And because it exists, here's how you should take care of slaves. Well, women were being sent away because of the Hillel school of thought, but they didn't have a certificate of divorce, and so basically they were outcasts in society. They had nowhere to turn. Nobody would take them in, and they had no social structure to meet their needs, and so that's what's going on. They would be a castaway and be destitute. So we've... what I want to say today, we need to get the heart of God on divorce, or more positively put, on how important a lasting commitment is. You know, if you, if you are considering divorce, you know, you, you need to realize this is serious stuff. As we said yesterday, you mess with marriage, you're messing with the balance of the universe. This is serious. God the Pharisees fell into a trap, and and I see today, even in our churches, people are falling into a trap of saying, well, yeah, it's okay, but because of this, 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 and this. And there are clauses. There are times to get divorced. There are times. But what, what I tell people, you know, divorce is like amputating your leg. And, you know, I have a friend who, a couple years ago, decided to get his leg amputated because he had a vein disease, and it was causing him a lot of pain. But he waited for years, 10 or 15 years. He did everything. He sought every treatment. He did everything. Okay, so there are times for divorce. Context here in Mark 10, Matthew Matthew 19 is uh, adultery. There, There is that clause, but... You know, the, you don't just cut, you don't say, well, I've got a splinter, I'm going to cut my leg off. You do everything you can before you amputate your leg. You're going to go to doctors, you're going to seek treatment, you're going to take medicine, you're going to get therapy, you're going to do everything because you don't want to get your leg cut off. There are, There is a time to do it and you have to do it. But it is not the way we, we cut our leg, and you know what the leg you replace it with' will never be it 's never the same as the first leg. But see, we need to get the heart of God on. God hates divorce. you know Malachi chapter two verses fifteen, sixteen, explicitly says that God hates divorce, and before four hundred years of silence, Malachi, the last book of the Old testament before 400 years of silence, what is God talking about in the book of Malachi? He's talking about, guess what? Marriage, children, and money. I think we can keep a pure holy church if we focus on marriage, children, and money. Because if you are... Striving to have a great marriage, really striving to take care of little children and really striving to sacrificially honor God with your offerings. the rest of the stuff is not that hard. What are you coming to midweek? what is that? Is that really so hard <laughs> Coming to Palm Springs to a marriage retreat is that, you know this is great. You see. It's serious, and and, you know, God demands lifelong faithfulness, and we must focus on the heart of God more than the clause. And God hates divorce. And why does God hate divorce? It's not that God arbitrarily hates the fact that people get divorced and he's got these rules. He hates it because the consequences are devastating. He hates it because it destroys the church. He hates it because it destroys families. It destroys the fiber of our society. He hates what it does to people and the little children that suffer and go astray and they hate God and they turn on him because of what divorce does. Now, if you're divorced here today, I'm not here to bash you. Certainly, you know, God, in First Corinthians 7, if we were called and we've messed, messed up and we've all messed up in the past, you remain in the state you were in when you were called. If you got divorced, remarried, divorced, remarried six times, and then you became a disciple and you're married, you don't have to go back to that first wife. That's not what this is teaching. <laughs> Just so you know, but but you're here and you're married. We're in a marriage retreat. That person sitting beside you that you told all those nice things this morning, you are glued together. You're stuck. That's it. I told the men yesterday, women, I'll tell you, you know, sometimes you got to keep in life, you got to keep that phrase in mind. It could be worse. You go out and look at your car, and you're tempted to complain about, like I am, my 2001 Chevy Prism. And I just got to say, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> Barbara wakes up in the morning, looks at me, I hope in her mind, I don't want her to say it out loud, but she needs to say, it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> We must be committed to each other. A lasting promise. Glued together. As we said yesterday, marriage is the emblem of Christ and the church. And it's the main reason God God created marriages was for us to be an example of the love Jesus has for the church. Our marriages have spiritual, universal impact. And we must not mess with that god hates divorce you know it's interesting in the old testament immorality was punished but adultery the punishment according to exodus 20 verse 14 was death you know the old testament (laughs) really gives no grounds for divorce even adultery wasn't a ground for divorce. Let me explain why. Because if you committed adultery, you got killed. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of eliminated. We don't need divorce lawyers cuz we just need rifles, you know. <laughs> Problem solved. Have you thought about that? That's how serious it is. We get all worked up about immorality, and we should. Immorality is a bad thing, but let me tell you, adultery, that's the thing. God he, he hates it because it destroys marriage. It is against what God joined together. You know, the Ten Commandments say, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We're not even supposed to think about another woman. You know, the sanctity of marriage is so serious that God instituted the death penalty. Now, let's think how far our society is from that, from the heart of God on this issue. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. This is serious. You can't say, "Well, we're just not compatible." Let me tell you, naturally, I'm not compatible with anybody. <laughs> I, I am not. I'm not. That's. I'm not. We're mutually incompatible. That's why we're. That's ridiculous. When a sinner marries a sinner, there's no compatibility without repentance and reconciliation. You know, and as we said yesterday as well, just as a reminder, your, your marriage and how you treat your wife is affecting your prayer life. It's affecting your relationship with God. G- Jesus said this. He taught this clearly. Our relationships and the way we treat one another, and especially the most important relationship we have, have, which is our wife or our husband, that affects our relationship with God. That's why he said if you are praying and you remember you have something against your brother or against your wife or your husband, you go work that out because I'm not going to hear this prayer with you boiling over with anger. He says, I'm not going to even forgive you if you won't forgive. You forget that. You think you're going to be all connected to me and not connected to people? No. That does not work in my kingdom. That's what Jesus taught. Greatest favor you, we can do for ourselves is to love our spouse. I mean, we should just become, if we focus on one thing, you know, that one human, I'm going to love, I'm going to, we You know, and let me just say about divorce. It is interesting. God eventually divorced his people. I won't take the time to turn there, but Jeremiah 3, verse 8. God gave them a certificate of divorce. The Bible says it. You can look it up later. But you know what he did before that? You know how long God waited to give them a certificate of divorce? 700 years. How long you've been working at your marriage? (laughs) You know, there's somebody in the Bible named Gomer. You've probably heard of her. Now, what if your wife's name was Gomer? (laughs) I hope there's no women here named Gomer. (laughs) Seems like that would be enough reason to divorce her, you know. Not real. I'm just, Gomer? So let's just assume you're married to Gomer. Women, let's, you know, let's really, I prefer calling the guys Gomer. You're married to Gomer. I mean, he's a goofball. But what did God tell Hosea to do with Gomer? Okay, Mary Gomer, he had a couple children with her, I believe. Then she became a prostitute. I think she had children because of her prostitution. Then then she became a slave. He said, Hosea, I want you to go back and buy her and treat her as a virgin. This is the heart of God. So what I'm saying here, you know, well, yeah, my husband committed adultery. Ah, that's it. But you better be careful with that heart. My wife, man, that's it. It's over. That's not the heart of God. He waited 700 years. We work at it 10 months, and we're like, that's it. He puts Hosea in the Bible. You don't tell me that has something to do with marriage? Sure, there's a double meaning there that has to do with God's covenant relationship with his people but he's talking about marriage. Adultery does not have to be the end. The model God gives us is to work at it even after horrific sin. That's the heart of God on marriage. Do we have the heart of God? Do we hate it as much as he does? Hate it to the point where I'm not even going to look at a woman lustfully. Hate it to the point where when we see somebody having marriage problems in the church, we treat that as something serious, and, and we do it with compassion and love. But we don't say, yeah, they're having – I mean, I, I I don't know about your church. Nobody told me anything, so, but I just share, you know, where I live. We've got cases, people separated, and and they're not working it out. And they're both coming to church. And I understand there are times to get separated. So, And certainly I don't mean, as Barbara said yesterday, a woman that's being physically abused uh, – or there's danger, there are times to be separated, and there are times, as we've said, to be divorced, but we go there too quickly. And God wants us to work at this. Do we have God's heart? If there's something that could kill our church, it's the marriage is not being what God created them to be. This is one of the main things that could kill the church in our effectiveness in our communities. And then I want to say this we must be willing to do the hard things. This is the second and last point. We must be willing to do the hard things because heaven is worth it. What I mean by that is, okay, let's just assume you're in a really difficult marriage. You married Gomer. And you made a mistake. But you know what? You're married. And... Let me just remind you, there is this place called heaven. You know, my friend, I shared with the men yesterday, a friend of Barbara and me. Uh, her name is Julie, and she she passed away at uh, uh, two o'clock yesterday this this morning, of cancer. And she'd been in the church thirty five years and been married, I don't know, well over thirty years, and uh, just pillars there in South Florida, and. And you know uh, but she's she was so faithful through her struggle, she had cancer and and so encouraging and keeping people informed and, and, and writing and she made it and there 's certainly a sad component when somebody that 's fifty six passes on and leaves children and grandchildren and and that 's hard and she 's a, a peer of ours, and it 's difficult and we Barbara and I. Are great friends with her daughter Amy and son-in-law Marcus and we work with them in the ministry in our region and and yet whatever hard things we have to go through are worth it if we have to be in a difficult marriage don't quit if we have to be in a difficult job don't let it ruin your demeanor if you have difficult children Meaning, if you have children, <laughs> don't let that get you all bent out of shape. You know, when, when Jesus taught, you got to understand, we won't take the time to turn there, but Matthew 19, this is really almost hilarious. Jesus says you can't get divorced for any reason except adultery in Matthew 19. You know what the disciples said to him? Oh, if this is true, it's better not to marry. <laughs> that's what they say. That's a direct quote. Matthew 19, verse 10. That's the disciples after being with Jesus for three years, the best idea they could come up with. Well, hey. <laughs> that's how hard it is. This is not easy stuff. This is not for the faint-hearted and unspiritual. A great marriage is hard work, even if you're married to a great guy like me. You know, it's a lot of hard work. That is a joke, by the way. You could, I'm glad you laughed, you know. It's hard work. But we are called to do hard things, like stay in a tough marriage. We're gonna be called to harder things than that. We're called to persevere in our faith when we're, when we're dying of a painful, difficult disease. We're called to deny ourselves, to pray and fast. To get, Jesus taught all this in, in his section around Mark, to pray and fast to get rid of difficult areas in our life. It's hard to pray and fast. And sometimes we have obstacles and we're not changing and we don't know why. Jesus made it very clear, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And we want to talk or read a book. Or think somebody's going to pump us up enough at a seminar to change. doesn't work like that. Prayer and fasting. We're called. Jesus said, you cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. My goodness. He doesn't say make an appointment with a surgeon and get it surgically removed. He says, you just find the nearest knife and... talking about doing it physically but he's talking about the attitude we should have what i'm saying is i think sometimes in our marriages and it relates to obviously our whole life we don't like doing the hard things and i i want to share an example with you that i got from uh, francis chan who's an author some of you may know but i want you to here's a rope This rope represents eternity. And let's just, let's just assume this rope, you know, I've loved looking in the mornings and particularly at these beautiful mountains. Let's just assume this rope leaves the hotel, goes round and round the mountains, all of them. <laughs> that represents eternity. Let's just think about that. This rope. Now, let's just say this red part represents your life on this earth. Okay? Your existence on this earth. You know what? Some of us, this little red part's all we think about. I mean, we're, we're, we're so worried that, oh, well, yeah, this part right here, man, I'm you know, I'm single and i got to get married because this little sliver of red, I want to be happy. And as we get older, we, you know, we want a job man. i got to get the perfect career because, you know, this little part right here, this is really important. And, and in the church, we want to hear classes on the red part. <laughs> Help us with the red part, John. I want to know I want to know about you know perfect marriage perfect parenting I'm not saying it's not important I want I want you know this retirement part I'm really worried man I might might end up living under a bridge if I don't get this part right I, I'm, really, I'm really concerned about this, and sometimes you know, in my life, my family members have looked at me and said, You are crazy. What are you doing? You know, you're not preparing for your future. You're, you're taking your family to Brazil and Mexico. What, what are, you, are you crazy? I don't know. You're crazy. You're crazy. Because all you're worried about is this little red part. And you know what? There's another part. And then it just goes on and on and you can walk around the mountains and it just keeps on going and it never stops. It goes on and on and on and John, what about that red part? I'm married to Gomer and Gomer, he's right, there's Gomer, there he is. And he didn't, I wish you would commit adultery, but he won't commit adultery. I've. I've, I've, I've withheld sex, I've done everything, and he's not committing, what am I going to, I can't stay, I'm so unhappy. We're so in the first world, or the developed world, worried. I'm a, this is the most, I say this with all sincerity, this is the most dangerous place to live in the world. Because here, the red part Rules. Because we've almost got heaven here in our mind. Some people think Starbucks is heaven. Great cup of coffee, contemporary music, and a good book, and free Wi Fi. Hey, that's all I need, man. It's heaven. We're not there yet. And I I would encourage us in our marriages and in the difficulties we face in life. Jesus never said it was easy. (laughs) I don't remember that command. (laughs) I mean, he did say it's easier if you're with me. But you know why it's easier? Because then we got this. That's the only reason it's easier if we're thinking about this. If all we're thinking about is the red part, Paul said we're worse off. We're to be pitied above all men. Because if all we've got is the red part, we have missed the whole point of Christianity, according to 1 Corinthians 15. We have missed the whole point. That's why Paul said, I look, I strain towards what is ahead. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He yeah, I don't know what I I, I, I don't know, man. It's hard to choose. I, I'm ready to go on. That's what the Apostle Paul said. You know, and Jesus, he wants us. He said, look, yeah, Moses permitted you a certificate of divorce because he wanted to take care of those women. You guys are just looking for a clause. You're just thinking about your happiness on this earth. And brothers and sisters, you know, this goes way beyond divorce. But in our marriages, it's got to be a lasting promise. But I also ask us about our little children or our big children, because this in the context, too, here. He said the kingdom of God belongs to them. That's what he taught. And then he talked about the rich young man, and he said, you know what, you've got everything. You're, you're, you've got the red part down, but I want you to start focusing on the white part. That's really what he's teaching, the rich young man. I'd like to close by turning to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter twenty-one, in verse one. And let me before I read. Let me just say. You know, maybe. You know, I, I know they're not here, but like we have single people in the church that maybe their husband. I, I have a lot of friends whose husbands left them, left the church left them alone to raise children. We have people, you know, great single sisters and brothers in the church that may never get married. And sometimes we look at it and go, man, that's how sad. And I understand there's a component maybe of sadness to that. But I want you, you know, we're all going to get married someday. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's going to be one wonderful day. And, you know, Isaiah 53 talks about God is your husband. And someday even us men are going to have to learn how to be a bride. And we're going to be, believe it or not, a beautiful bride. And so, and all of the things that are wrong with us, and all of the, you know, I want to close, I'm going to, in a minute after I read this and talk about it for just a minute, play a song for you called Wedding Day. And it talks about, and I really want to encourage you to listen to the words. They'll be up on the screen as the song plays because it talks about Jesus coming and what that day is going to be like for us. And Revelation 21 verse 1 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Brothers and sisters, I just want to say every struggle we go through, if we're having a struggle in our marriage, you keep honoring God and obeying God. It is worth it. If you're struggling in parenting and you have rebellious children and you're you're tempted to be discouraged and to give up on them or, God forbid, on God, you keep on going. It is worth it. If you've been mistreated in the church and you feel hurt and you feel like you can't overcome that, you keep on going because it is worth it. You forgive as God has forgiven you because God has prepared a day, hour, personal wedding day. And the best marriage here is not going to compare at all, I mean, to the wedding that's going to happen between us and Jesus. Marriage is the best thing going on this earth. But marriage doesn't even exist in heaven. And you can be depressed about that. Or you can think heaven is so great that even the best thing we've got going here, it's nothing there. It's so beyond that, the blessings that God has prepared for us. It is worth it. And Jesus, one day, He's going to make everything new. Every body part that's really breaking down and falling apart, every disease every relationship difficulty, every marriage problem, every rebellious child, all the things. Jesus will make all of that new. And I don't understand it all, but that's what the Word of God says. And so as we leave here today, and we want to work on the red part in our marriages, and there's nothing wrong with that because really our marriages affect the white part. But that's what's most important about them, not the red part of our marriages. It's the eternal things that God is preparing us and testing us with. But I want you to think as we close, and we're going to play this song called Wedding Day by Casting Crowns, and I want you to think about your relationship with God and how God is going to make all things new.